asset flows into exchange-traded funds are strongly positive every year. They're no longer positive for mutual funds. They're in net redemptions. And all the attributes of exchange-traded funds that people like, those attributes are going to continue and people are going to become even more aware of them. Hello and welcome to this podcast edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. My guest is John Reckenthaler, Vice President of Research at Morningstar, where he has been tracking mutual funds and their evolutionary successors since 1988, including exchange-traded funds, which have been attracting record amounts of dollars in recent years. John, thank you for joining us on WealthTrack again. Great to have you here. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. Let me ask you about a recent Reckenthaler report, which was titled Farewell Mutual Funds. Eventually, ETFs will be the industry standard. And you also called it a long goodbye. Now, look, for someone who has been covering mutual funds for 30 years, that is close to heresy. So what's going on? Yes, it is close to heresy. I've made my living, my career on mutual funds. I don't think you would find a stronger supporter of mutual funds than I am. I guess I console myself with the fact that exchange-traded funds are quite similar to mutual funds. I haven't completely turned turn my back on, on, on my history. This column came about because I had a flashback to how things felt 25 years ago when index funds were rising in the mutual fund industry, but it were at that time a very small portion of the fund industry. And it just seemed to me, and I was early on this, you could call it my one big uh, thing that I got correct. You only need one big one each decade or so. Maybe I'm writing this one a little too long. But in, but in the mid-90s, when index funds were still small, I felt and wrote at the time that I thought index funds ultimately would at least match, if not surpass, the amount of assets held by active funds. This was because the, the flows into index funds were steadily rising, and there were starting to be early criticisms of active funds and it, I just felt I could see the writing on the wall. It was a long ways off, but you saw where the trend was headed, and it seemed inevitable. Of course, something can come along and change your mind, but that's how I felt at the time. And that's where I feel now with exchange-traded funds. They have about $5 trillion in assets or so in, in the U.S. as opposed to $18 trillion for mutual funds, so they're much smaller. Right. But actually, I think this process is further along than when I talked about index funds. It feels, it feels more inevitable to me. Asset flows into exchange-traded funds are strongly positive every year. They're no longer positive for mutual funds. They're in net redemptions. And all the attributes of exchange-traded funds that people like, those attributes are going to continue, and people are going to become even more aware of them. ETFs were created, what, in 1993? They were launched, and... So we've had them for nearly 20 years. Why are they recently gaining so much traction? What was holding them back? Well, it's been a slow build. It's one of those accidents of history. A lot of things are accidents of history. 401k plans weren't invented to become the mainstream investment for American workers for their retirement. It was, right. it was an item in the tax code that a few companies saw potential into to help their key employees stash away some extra money. The ETFs were actually devised as trading vehicles by people who had a background in the brokerage industry. They weren't fund people. They didn't think about retail investors or long-term investors. It was a trading vehicle for institutions. So when these came out for many years, 
you know, there, there wasn't a real natural marketplace for them. Also, they're available on exchanges. They don't have commissions attached to them. They didn't fit in with uh, financial advisors' business. Mm-hmm. Most most assets outside of 401ks, most flows into funds, whether mutual funds or ETFs, come in through financial advisors. And they were not being paid uh, for the privilege of recommending an ETF in their client's portfolio versus a mutual fund. That's right. If you recommend a mutual fund with an A share or B share, whichever, I mean, the commission on those on funds was 4 to 5% when you sold a mutual fund. There's nothing like that when you would put a client into an exchange-traded fund. So there wasn't the distribution set up to, to get to people, which again was fine with the inventors of ETFs because that's not how they envisioned them being used. But over time, there's a recognition that, hey, ETFs do a lot of what mutual funds do. In fact, almost all the things that mutual funds do, but they have certain advantages associated with them, such as the additional liquidity, greater tax efficiency, they tend to be low cost and so forth. And now they fit into the model that financial advisors use because most advisors have switched to a fee that's based on assets under management. When you have a separate fee that's assets under management, the advisor receives a fee and then after receiving that fee, picks securities for the investor. The advisor's focus is to get the cheapest possible securities. This has already been paid. The advisors want to demonstrate their value to the client and the client are well aware of the costs of the underlying securities by putting them into, into things that tend to be quite cheap and ETFs fit the bill. So now you've got no commission, um, low cost investment. It, is, a, is an attribute. It does, it's not harming your distribution. It's helping your distribution. I, I, one of the criticisms of ETFs was that during periods of market turbulence, that they would not hold up, they wouldn't be liquid, that they would run into problems. And certainly uh, that was the case during the flash crash in 2010. Has that issue been overcome? It has not been entirely overcome. It has improved. To go over the point that you raised, what happens is, it, unlike a mutual fund, a mutual fund always trades at its net asset value. I mean, you might pay a commission on an old-fashioned A share to get into the fund. But setting aside sales commissions, a mutual fund trades at net asset value. You buy it at net asset value, you sell it at net asset value. There's no such thing as a spread or the fund selling at a discount to Mm -hmm. what its underlying assets are worth. With an ETF, that's not the case. There's a market price and there's a net asset value. Usually the two are very closely aligned. ETFs are ingeniously designed with a function such that if a disparity occurs between the market price of the ETF and the value of its underlying investments, that institutions will come in and arbitrage that difference away. That's how they were built, not to have a, in particular, a discount. However, under certain circumstances, when the stock market's been very volatile and dropped quite quickly, there have been times where discounts have, have popped up with exchange-traded funds. The flash crash of 2010 was the most infamous occasion, but it has happened more recently. It ha- I mean, it has happened throughout the previous decade on certain occasions, and again in, in March 2020 with, with some bond ETFs. Happily, those occasions are becoming less frequent and the discounts are smaller, it has not completely gone away. I do think, given the trend, that as you get more money into ETFs, there are more market makers, there are more people participating, that we will continue to see improvement for this. I also note that this is a very, very small portion of the trading, the time at which one might trade an ETF. Mm -hmm. Talk in very brief periods during 
a day here and a day there. And with a mutual fund, you can't trade during the day anyway. Right. So often the issue is, well, you you can't trade at this particular moment or this particular hour in an ETF. Well, you couldn't if you had a mutual fund. It's actually not a disadvantage per se for the ETF uh, because you don't have to trade and you couldn't trade with with a mutual fund as long as you were to wait a few hours that that sorts itself out. But you know, I'm not I'm not here to try to sell. I'm not selling ETFs to try to say that they're perfect. There still are, you know, some legitimate criticisms, and and one of them is that issue. It's that continues to be something that ETF providers and the marketplace needs to improve upon. There are other issues as well. These are more problems that have to be addressed by the brokerage firms rather than the ETFs themselves. They're operational issues. But such things as having smooth dividend reinvestment programs, you know, automatic dividend reinvestment programs that mutual funds have, or fractional shares. You can always buy fractional shares of mutual funds. Uh, you can't always buy fractional shares of ETFs. You can't always have dividend reinvestment programs that work smoothly. It's not the structure of the ETF per se. It's the fact that there are additional complications when connecting with the brokerage firm or the exchanges that they right. sell on. Are they being addressed? Yes, they they will be addressed. They are being addressed. It's just it's just at this stage you have to check and say, you know, to this firm, brokerage firm or that brokerage firm, do you have those features? So we're not there yet across the board, but there's no reason why we won't get there. And of course, you know, Jack Bogle, who created index funds uh, at Vanguard, uh, the late great Jack Bogle, was very critical of ETFs because he felt that the ability to trade ETFs would encourage people to trade as opposed to invest. Where do you come out on that observation? It's, it was interesting that Jack was critical of what most people would see as an advantage, right? Or an additional feature. And you can take that argument further. You can say, well, mutual funds are not as good as another type of investment because you can trade them every day. Maybe you should own something that only trades once a month or that only trades you once a year. Mm -hmm. So I, whereas I agree with Jack on 95 plus percent of the things that he said, I was never quite sold on the anti-ETF argument. Uh, because it, you know, I think it, logically it, it breaks down. Why is being able to price daily as a mutual fund does? And also, in reality, we haven't seen that behavior very much with the kind of index fund investors that Jack Bogle was thinking of. Traditional index fund investors seem seem to be buying ETFs to use as they would use index mutual funds. They're just buying the ETF instead because it's more convenient for them, because they're potentially, maybe they're a little bit more tax efficient, whatever reasons, and they're holding them for a long term. Actually, I don't see traders, institutional traders are using ETFs. I don't think so many retail investors are trading ETFs. Mm -hmm. they're, trading in, they're trading individual stocks or things that are, that are even more volatile. Speaking of you know, what you just mentioned, uh, ETFs have traditionally been index-based at, at a time when active management is becoming less popular, ETFs are now, more of them are becoming actively managed. Is that something that is going to hasten uh, the flow into ETFs, do you think? How does an actively managed exchange-traded fund differ from uh, you know, an actively managed mutual fund? I don't think it's going to hasten the growth of ETFs too much. The reality is the flow now and for the foreseeable future, the new assets are largely flowing predominantly flowing into index funds. I mean, index funds are receiving net inflows. Active funds are receiving net outflows. 
Right. And that's the case with mutual funds, right, as well. With right. mutual funds. All, yeah. For all funds. That holds, that's just a yes. long-term secular trend. And that's benefited ETFs. So the fact that they're adding a capability for active management or doing more of that in what is, from a business point of view, a shrinking sector or losing corner of the business I don't think that, you know, that doesn't have, that's not particularly meaningful. I mean, it'll help them a little bit and it certainly would help them more if and when active funds ever start to dominate cash flows again. But I don't see that coming. Uh, in terms of how active ETF fund, active ETFs behave, it's still a pretty new category. Some of the active exchange traded funds show their portfolios on a regular basis in increasing number. There are provisions that will enable them to kind of hide their portfolios so they're not seen as regularly as with a traditional mutual fund. Right. We don't know how that's going to play out. What I do know is that large companies that traditionally would never have um, offered exchange traded funds, for example, Capital Research in Los Angeles. The, the American the, uh, funds. The American funds, which is the biggest of the traditionally advisor sold firms. One would never have thought that they would have put out ETFs because they were the load fund company mm -hmm. and they're the active the fund company and they're doing both. They're going to be putting out a series of ETFs. They're saying we're comfortable running uh, actively managed money in ETFs. So I think when American capital research comes, everybody else follows. The other thing to mention is a lot of these index funds really are active. The ARC funds Innovation Fund being the largest, have acquired a lot of attention recently. ARK Innovation made 152% last year owning technology stocks. I think technically it's an index fund, but it's an index fund that's, as with many of the smaller ETFs or more specialized ETFs, it's an index uh, essentially of investment ideas that management likes. Mm -hmm. in, in very specific areas. Right. In very specific areas. So how's that different than an active fund? It's really not. It's, you know, you're, when you're buying the ARC funds, you're buying a collection of securities that management thinks will outperform the rest of the market. And it's a collection that will change fairly quickly, too, as they revise the index. Let me ask you about that, because I don't understand how an ETF is built, for instance. So with a mutual fund, an actively managed mutual fund, I, I know that the portfolio is going to change uh, depending on you know whatever the portfolio manager is doing. But with an, an ETF, do they have the same ability to change the portfolio as a an actively managed mutual fund does? The major ETFs are like an index mutual funds. The really big ETFs are indexing the S&P 500, the Wilshire 5000. They're really identical in how they operate or, or in their investment characteristics with the mutual fund. In fact, Vanguard has Vanguard's ETFs are just another share class of its mutual funds. They have a particular structure that way. So, so they're the same. When you get into the more specialized ETFs, for example, the ARC funds, then these aren't indexes that come from outside parties that are very slow moving and slow changing. They're indexes that are created by the provider themselves and they can change quite rapidly. I mean, not during the day, they're not, you know, buying seven new securities and selling off three positions as an active fund might do. But in practical purposes, the index can change every month as they evaluate the holdings that go in there and move some out and move some in. So it ends up, you know, being very active. It, it's, it's a reflection of management's view. 
You know, it's not an index in the sense of being some passive slice of the stock market or the whole stock market. I think the key point is that the specialized indexes reflect management's views on what are the best stocks to own. And then as those views change, the the indexes change. So in our view, it's just another form of of active management. Uh, They're really much closer in spirit to a traditional actively run fund than to the the giant ETFs with, you know, S&P 500 portfolios that barely ever change. Let's go over some of the clear benefits of ETFs that we've just discussed. Low cost is perhaps the starting point. Most ETFs are cheaper than most mutual funds. Uh, Of course, index mutual funds are competitive with ETFs. But not all mutual funds are cheap, whereas almost all ETFs are cheap. Low cost, accessibility, uh, liquidity, the fact that you can trade them on a moment's notice, the fact that they're commission-free and fit into the new financial advisor model, increased tax efficiency, which is a rather complicated reason why, but it's associated with the structure as to how ETF shares are created and and how ETF redemptions are made. Uh, this tends to be a feature that is perhaps stronger in theory than in practice because ETFs t- tend to compete with index mutual funds, which are also tax efficient. ETFs are a little bit more tax efficient. Transparency. For most ETFs, you know at all times what's in the portfolios. There are some exceptions. They cannot close the door to new investors. Is is that an advantage? That's a positive. Yeah, I'm not so sure right. about that because you can run into capacity constraints. That's one big difference between ETFs and mutual funds. Mutual funds can and will close their doors if they're, you know, not if they're, not if they're a blue chip fund or they're buying treasury securities or something that, some strategy that has very high investment capacity. But if they're buying more specialized investments. And management feels as if they're being overwhelmed with money. They can close their doors to new investors, and ETFs can't do that. Right. So that is a concern. We haven't really seen many ETFs yet encounter capacity problems because most of them, as I said, the majors have been- Index funds. Yeah, and and index funds that participate in very diversified, broad indexes. You know, investment universe, huge investment universes, not specialized uh, funds. But as the ARC funds now have $60 billion, that's starting to become a meaningful number for a, a smaller segment of the market. There are concerns popping up there. $60 billion is probably okay, but is $120 billion okay? Is $250 billion? Probably not. So this is more a, a, a problem off in the future. If my prediction comes true, and these ETFs are the mainstream fund investment, then there will be capacity problems, uh, companies that have too much money for the segments of the market that they're investing in uh, with ETFs. And I don't know what the solution will be. Perhaps there, an innovation will come in, in how these are structured or there'll be some way to address that problem. So I would say it's a, it's a problem on the horizon if the trend continues and, and they continue to grow. We're not there yet. I'm Consuelo Mack. You're listening to a WealthTrack podcast discussion with John Reckenthaler from Morningstar. So, John, you, you said earlier on in this discussion that you really weren't making a, you know, a case uh, for ETFs. 
versus mutual funds, but it sure sounds like that's what you're saying. <laughs> so what are you saying for individual investors uh, who are holding a ton of mutual funds? Should we be switching to the equivalent ETFs or what, what are you recommending for investors? What I am saying is I see a lot of reasons why ETFs will win the sales battle, are winning the sales battle, right? They are winning the marketing battle with mutual funds and will continue to do so. For most investors, though, it's not really an issue. It was a forecasting column. It wasn't an advice column. There's, there's no reason for a typical index fund investor to switch over from their index mutual fund to an index ETF. I mean, unless you want to trade the darn thing seven times a day or something, which makes you not a typical index fund investor. It's just a prediction that the younger generation, newer investors are likelier and likelier to grow up and investing in ETFs than in mutual funds. And as the mutual fund generation, you know, time passes, the mutual fund generation passes it will be replaced by the exchange-traded fund generation. Uh, and in, in terms of the other point of, of your question, should somebody buy an ETF uh, or is there an advantage to it? Well, if you're not an index fund investor, there are certainly arguments that somebody should become an index fund investor. Mm -hmm. So that's a reason to buy ETFs. But again, you can do that for mutual funds too. You can do it both ways. But in the actively managed space, the choices in ETFs are still pretty limited, right? They're still pretty limited. Right, right. For those who are seeking active management and swear by active management, there, there will be more choices over time. And I do think you know, ETFs will be fully competitive in this area 10, 15 years out. But at the moment, those who seek active managers will find many more opportunities in mutual funds. That said, there aren't very many of those people around to judge by how the asset flows are. That just isn't where, where the flows are now. If there were more money going into those funds, I would address that point further and write to those people more. But hey, if you like actively managed funds, mutual funds, show up and buy them because <laughs> you're not doing it right now. <laughs> Another asset class, uh, and then we're almost wrapping this up, that I meant to ask you about earlier, uh, that ETFs were you know, primarily an equity vehicle. And now they're offering many more choices. One of the most important choices is that you can buy bond ETFs. How have the bond ETFs performed versus the, you know, fixed income mutual funds? Uh, they performed fine. There, there is a little bit of a difference, though, that with equities. That being because the bond market is less liquid and these bond indexes are huge. Even bond index mutual funds tend not to buy every bond that's in the index. They sample. They just buy a segment of the index, which is different than with stock index funds. They generally buy everything. And ETFs, because cash is moving into and out of them more rapidly, they're even more likely to follow a sampling process. So their portfolios stray further away from the bond indexes than do mutual funds. Which is a long-winded way of saying that that ETF bond funds have a greater tracking error. Their their performance deviates further from the bond index than do the major uh, bond index mutual funds. It's not a problem for the long-term investor because it's this goes both ways. Sometimes you benefit 
when the fund differs from the index, sometimes you're hurt by it. Over time, it tends to come out in the wash, and the long-term performance is similar. But it's a bit of a quirk and something to think about. Again, this is uh, an area where uh, ETFs still have further improvement to go and where there could be reason to own a mutual fund rather than an exchange-traded fund. Final question. We always ask our WealthTrack guests to give us one investment that they think that should be in everyone's long-term diversified portfolio. What would you recommend? Well, I'm going to be very dull and give you my single largest fund position, which is, and you've heard of this one before, because it's the biggest fund out there, which is the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. It owns the entire U.S. stock market. It does so very cheaply. I've been here, you know, talking not as a stock picker, but uh, but speaking about investing very broadly for the very long term at a low cost and just trying to make life simple. That is the ETF, and that's my biggest fund. So I was going to ask you, so are, would, would, if you're bringing new money into the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, do you buy the mutual fund or do you buy the ETF? It's all the same to me, you know, for as a long-term investor, whether I own the, it's, as I said, with Vanguard, it's actually just a different share class. Yep. Uh-huh. It, it sounds like it could have been a coin toss between the mutual fund or the, uh, or the ETF. For my purposes, it would have been a coin toss. This isn't a taxable account, so I, I would have actually picked the ETF, although I don't think the, for its theoretical tax advantage, although I don't think the the mutual fund version has basically had any real capital gains uh, distributions, therefore any capital gains taxes, because it's been attracting money. And generally, when index funds are attracting money, they don't distribute capital gains. But I probably would have picked the ETF anyway. You, you brought up uh, an important point, or maybe it is not that important, but we talked about the tax advantages of ETFs. So if you're deciding where to put new ETFs or whatever, are you better off putting them in the taxable account and it really doesn't matter what's in the tax-deferred account? That's right. If you if you were to have one of each, you'd put the ETF in the taxable account in the mutual fund in your, in your uh, tax-sheltered account, which is actually what happens in practice for a lot of people because 401ks are made up of mutual funds, not ETFs, and those are tax-sheltered accounts. Yep. See, it all works out. It all works out, John Reckenthaler. We live in the best of all possible worlds, Consuelo. Here, here. I agree with you there. So, John Reckenthaler, thank you so much for joining us. And I so enjoy reading the Reckenthaler Report, uh, which is published twice weekly on Morningstar. Thanks so much, John. Thank you, Consuelo. And thank you listeners as well for your time. Don't hesitate to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or our YouTube channel. Make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one. 